I'm going to ask you to stand as we read together the first three verses of the book of Jonah, chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amitti. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And in verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, as we hear your word today, may we not go in the opposite direction, but go where you lead us. Give me the words to speak. May you be glorified. May you be honored. May your words be powerful. May your words be life-changing. And let it begin in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, why was Jonah running from the Lord. And maybe you have wondered that same question of why you continue to run from the Lord. Now, there are several reasons. I'm going to unpack a couple of them today. And I believe the first thing that prompted Jonah to run was just fear. He was just afraid of this calling that God had on his life. Now, most of us, when we're afraid, we're tempted to run away. I've always been impressed with the bravery of first responders, whether in our military, our police, DNR, firefighters, EMS, ER doctors, nurses. They all run toward danger. And don't we all want people when we're in trouble, when we're in danger, to run toward us? They're on a run to help us. And on this July 4th week that extends from last Saturday, it seems, to this yesterday, even today, um, we owe a great debt of gratitude to the men and women who run toward danger for the freedoms that we enjoy. Amen? Can we give them a hand this morning, any of those people? I'm here to tell you that in today's increasingly secular world, it's going to require believers running toward danger, running toward people who are not going to like what you've got to say, and how you say it is going to be very important. I read about a 93-year-old gentleman who flew into Paris he got to the customs check-in, and he was trying to locate his passport. And the customs officer sarcastically asked him if he'd ever been to France before. He said, well, yes. And the officer said, well, you should have known if you've been here before that you have to have your passport ready. And the gentleman said, well, the last time I was here, I didn't have to show it. And the officer said, that's impossible. All Americans have to show their passport when they arrive in France. Well, the old gentleman paused for a minute and then explained, well, my last visit on June 6, 1944, when I landed on Omaha Beach to help liberate this country, 
I didn't see any French men checking passports on the beach. I'm grateful for the men and women who run toward danger. Jonah <laughs> did not run toward danger. As we work our way through this book, we'll learn this story is not just about a fish. We'll learn about how God calls us into dangerous places where we go and declare his mercy and his grace and his love. And God's love is always bigger. His grace is always mightier than any danger, any challenge, any calling that we will face. And this book is as much about the messenger as it is about the message. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament, it's about the message, what they're saying. But let's not miss that this story is as much about Jonah as it is about what God said through Jonah. In fact, Jonah's message, get this, Jonah's message only lasted for five words. I know you're praying that one day Pastor Jeff will give a five-word sermon, you know? I'm looking for that day, too. I can, I can take that week off. A five-day sermon, five-word sermon, I can do that. I can do that. Um, but this, this is about the message. And, and I believe that we find ourselves struggling with the same things that Jonah struggled with. Now, Jonah was a prophet from the village that was a day's journey from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. I think that's significant because I find a lot of Jesus here in the book of Jonah. The time is about 800 years before the birth of Jesus. And Jonah was a prophet under King Jeroboam II. So he was a man of God, a prophet of God who loved his people. He loved his land. He loved his religion. And he loved God. But what's unique about Jonah, Jonah was the first prophet that was called to go to a Gentile nation. Again, all the other prophets were called to give a message to the Israelites, to speak to their own people, but not Jonah. Jonah's called to leave the friendly shores of Israel and go to a faraway land and speak the truth to a pagan nation. And I don't know about you, I might have run in the opposite direction as well. This is not what a prophet does. A prophet doesn't leave his own shores to go to another shore to preach the gospel. So what is Jonah afraid of? What is he avoiding? Well, I want to call him the monsters of Nineveh. The monsters of Nineveh, located 750 miles northeast of Israel, the capital of Assyria, a terrorist state, and where's Nineveh today? It's located in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. And the Ninevites were bad people. They were scorned as sworn enemies by Israel. Why? Because the Ninevites did some bad things. They would raid the North, northern kingdom towns and steal the crops, the cattle. They would burn homes and towns. They would capture wives and daughters for their own pleasure. These Ninevites were sadistic. They were brutal. They were, they were cruel people. In fact, I read one account where the, the, when they would capture a, 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 a soldier from another nation, they would cut off both of the legs, cut off one arm of the captured warrior, 
so that before they died, they would make them use their remaining arm to shake their hand to mock them. They were just bad people. And Jonah says, why is God sending me to people like that? Why would a just God care about the monsters of Nineveh? Sworn enemies, sadistic. But you know why? Because they were sinners. They were sinners. For God so loved the world, a sinful world, that he gave his one and only son. Aren't you glad that God loved the Ninevites and wanted to reach the Ninevites because they're sinners? And guess what? Everyone in this room is a sinner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, these Ninevites were not on Jonah's mercy list. You know that list you have? You have a list, right? that there are people on your list that you don't give mercy to? Now, I don't know what their name is, and I don't know who they are or what nation they are or what race they are, but I'm guessing that somewhere we've got a list that, hey, no mercy there. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me. Can't give no mercy there. That's how Jonah felt. No mercy for the Ninevites, because, God, I know what's going to happen I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach and you're going to forgive them. And I don't want them forgiven because they're not on my mercy list. Is there somebody today that you can think of? A people? A place? No mercy. So let's talk about the mystery of mercy. You know, I believe that fear was the first reason Jonah ran, but I believe the second reason that Jonah ran was because of his pride. His worldview was shaped by his culture. His worldview was shaped by his religion. His worldview was shaped by his traditions. And his worldview was shaped by his country. And his worldview was different than God's worldview. And we see it played out in this book. And we see it played out throughout Scripture. That God's worldview is different than our worldview. And it is my prayer that I'm going to have a Christian worldview. That I'm going to look at life and I'm going to look at the world through a Christian viewpoint. And that's a viewpoint that's based on mercy and on grace. You know, for Jonah, he believed that God's mercy stopped at the border of Israel. That he was supposed to be merciful there, but not go beyond that place. Now, on this July 4th week, I'm going to tell you, I love America. I'm blessed to be a citizen of the greatest country on the planet. But also pray that I will have a Christian worldview that will be more important than my American worldview. Because one day, whenever I get into heaven, there's not going to be a line for Americans. There's not going to be a line for English people. There's not going to be a line for African people. There's going to be a line for believers in Jesus Christ. Can you get amen to that? And so that's what it means to have a Christian worldview. I'm going to look at the world the way Jesus looks at the world. I'm going to look at the world the way God looks at the world. And Jonah did not have a worldview in that way. He saw these Ninevites as people that needed to be punished, needed to be condemned, needed to be destroyed because of their wickedness. Patrick Morley said it this way, There is the God we want and the God who is. There is the God we want 
And there is the God who is. And they're often not the same God. And we need to discern the difference. And Morley goes on to say that the great transformation point in our lives is when we begin to seek the God who is and not the God we want. Well, that's, a, that's, that's a very powerful thought. That I want to seek the God who is, not the God I want. It's a struggle that Jonah faced. You know, I want you to know that our God, what's revealed in this passage to me, revealed throughout Scripture, that our God is a missionary God. Our God wants us to reach beyond these four walls. And when people ask me, what's unique about Mount Horeb? Why has Mount Horeb grown over these last 25 years? What, what's, what's, what are you doing different? I talk a lot about different things, uh, prayer and student ministry and children's ministry and worship. But you know what, what the, real, the real key that unlocked what God is doing in this place is that this church no longer asks this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Yeah, we'll do that, but how's it going to affect me? How, how's it going to affect my grandkids? How's it going to affect my kids? This church began to ask the question, how's it going to affect the world? How is what we do going to impact the community? And, and, and we began to focus on stepping outside of these four walls into this community and into the Midlands and into South Carolina and into the U.S. and into the world. And see, Jonah did, did, had no desire to do that. He, he wanted to stay with his people. You know, little churches I go to or struggling churches I go to, churches that really want to change and go, they don't want to get outside of the box. They don't want to get outside the four walls that they've got because they feel safe there. there there's no fear there, and there's really not a lot of mercy required past this place. Now, did you know that there's almost 8 billion people in the world, 8 billion people, and there's over 3 billion people who don't believe in Jesus? Our work is not done. 3 billion people that don't believe in Jesus. Now, I will say that those 3 billion people, most of them are very religious people. In fact, the Ninevites were very religious people. They were mean people. They were sadistic people. But ancient archaeology discovers that they had a long list of deities were worshipped in Nineveh. Despite their religiosity, they were underneath the wrath of God's judgment because, they hear this, sincere belief is not enough. Sincere belief is not enough. And in this crazy, political, correct world we live in, we've somehow got to this point of believing that as long as you believe in something, that's okay. No, it's not. As Christians, we believe that there's one God, Yahweh. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He didn't say, I'm just, I'm one of many ways. Just pick. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, that's not a popular message today. That's not a message the world wants to hear. Now, we give that message of grace. We give that message in love. We give that message without judgment. But we've got to stop backing off of the truth because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody and they, and they may harm us. I don't want to become a Jonah who goes the opposite direction because I'm afraid of what somebody may say or somebody may think. Because God has a plan for people who need to know him. 
Our God loves the world. You know, this pride leads to confusion. That somehow Jonah believed he needed to protect God. God, you just don't understand how bad these Ninevites are. How I many have you had that conversation with God? But God, you don't understand how mean these people are. You know, you, they, they've got you. They, they've got the wool pulled over your eyes, God. You know, they, these are bad people, and they deserve your wrath. They deserve your punishment. And so we got to protect God from the people that we think are bad. Now, there's a flip side to that coin. I've already said it here. Sometimes we want to protect people from God's justice. We want to protect people from God's judgment. We're afraid to call out sin because we don't want to offend anybody. I said in a sermon in the auditorium a couple weeks ago, if you speak the truth in love and grace and people get angry, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Amen? If you speak the truth in love and grace and people are offended, it doesn't mean you're wrong. But in this world today, if we speak the truth in grace and love and people get offended, we start backing up. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm... I'm, no, come on, people. That's what Jonah, Jonah was scared of offending anyone and afraid that God would offer grace and mercy to people he didn't think deserved it. You know, God's mercy is not looking the other way. God's mercy is meant to bring repentance. And that's what it says here, is that, is that I want you to go and tell them, tell them, cry out against them, their wickedness has come up before me. And if you read the rest of the book, and we'll get to it, we'll find what happens. You see, God's mercy calls us to turn away from sin, not sanction sin. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 2, 4, and it's from the J.B. Phillips uh, translation. Are you perhaps misinterpreting God's generosity and patient mercy towards you as weakness on his part? Don't you realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. God is merciful because he wants people to change. Repentance means to turn and go in a different direction. And the direction is God's purpose and God's plan and God's life. A path that leads to repentance. Jonah is called to speak out against their sin. He's called to speak out against their sadistic lifestyle. He's called to speak out against their sensuality with mercy and grace that will lead to repentance. Not the wrath of God, not the, not the eternal punishment of God, but, but for them to come to repentance and to believe. And that's the message for you here today. If you feel like, you know, I've just really messed up my life and God is out to get me, no, God wants to forgive you. He wants to show you mercy. You know, I believe that Jonah is the most Christian book in the Old Testament. Because it points us toward Jesus. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, while God saw those Ninevites as sinners, he sent Jonah. Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you and I ever got anything right, God had mercy on your soul. I love this statement. God had offers mercy for our souls and justice for our sins. Mercy. He sees us in our sins. He says, I love you and I want to give you mercy and I want to give you justice. And the justice is what? 
not for what you can do for your sins, but Jesus Christ died for your sins. Justice. The penalty has been paid. And so Jonah is pointing us toward Jesus. Now let me make a comparison about two people. One from the Old Testament, Jonah, and one from the New Testament named Judas. You see, Judas gave up everything to follow the Jesus that he wanted. The Jesus that he wanted. The Jesus that was going to overthrow the Romans. The Jesus that was going to lead a revolt, a political action. That's who he wanted. But when Jesus began to teach that you had to lay down your life, he was going to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sins, that you had to turn the other cheek, that you had to love the worst of people, that was not the Jesus that Judas wanted. And what did Judas do? He fled the presence of God. He went in the opposite direction. And we know how that ended. So I ask you this morning, are you serving the God you want or the God who is? Are you serving the God you want or the God who is? Do you resist those you resent? Do you resist those you resent? No grace and mercy for them. They're on the no mercy list. Are you resisting those you resent? So what this leads to is a messenger on the run. Read it again in verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa. Don't you love the word Joppa? Reminds me of Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Joppa. Went down to Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, how many in the room here have bought a ticket to Tarshish? Just going to escape the Lord the best way I can. I know he's convicted me, but I believe if I just change some scenery, that that conviction will go away. And I'm going to buy a ticket for Tarshish. You can get a real deal on those tickets, you know. You can get a ticket for Tarshish about anywhere. And they promise a great time, but when you get there, you'll find out like Jonah next week that it didn't turn out so well, the ticket to Tarshish. An exact opposite direction. You know where Tarshish is? It's in modern-day Spain. And for, for, for Jonah, it was the other end of the earth. It was 1,500 miles from Joppa. It was almost 2,500 miles from Nineveh. He was headed in the opposite direction. God said, go east. He went west. God said, go up. He went down. I love what Rabbi Sheldon Black said. What is Tarshish? In the story, it's anywhere. Anywhere but the right place. You've been there, right? You've been to Tarshish. Anywhere but the right place. It's the opposite direction. The di- I love this. The direction a person takes when he turns his back on his destiny. Tarshish is a place you go when you turn your back on your destiny. My friends, God has a destiny for every person in this room. But too oftentimes we hang out in Tarshish because we don't want to experience our destiny, our God-given destiny. As much as I love the promised land, which is Kentucky, just kidding, it was not my destiny. It was not the place that God wanted me to land. My wife was very thankful that it was Kentucky and it was South Carolina. 
you know, God will ask us to do some hard things. And coming to South Carolina wasn't really hard. But what was hard is back in January, I got an invitation to go to Liberia. Everybody I talked to about going to Liberia said, don't go to Liberia. That's a dangerous place. And I began to look online. All the travel warnings, don't go to, don't, don't go to Liberia. Liberia is a dangerous place. It's a lawless place. Don't go to Liberia. I see people over in the hallway in the, in the West Building. A guy walks up and says, hey, here you're going to Liberia. You got to watch out for Captain Lord so-and-so and so-and-so. He's a bad dude, man. Don't get around that dude. You, you got to watch out for Liberia. I wonder, what are you going to go to Liberia for? You know, so what I did, I, you know, Lim and I prayed about it, we talked about it, and so I invited Trevor to go with me. Uh, so uh, so uh, Trevor can be my bodyguard, you know. Trevor, you know, you know, you're not going to Tarshish, you're going to Liberia, and you're going with me. And you know, the really, the really funny thing and not funny thing about that, just before I was going to, Tar- uh, to Liberia, I wanted to go to Tarshish, but, uh, but uh, going to Liberia, I was meeting with somebody in the church, and they introduced me, hey, this is my pastor, he's getting ready to go next week to Liberia. And he says, you don't want to go to Liberia. He says, he says my very best friend is the general over the command of the U.S. forces in Africa. And he is stationed out of Italy, and he flies by Blackhawk once a week into Africa. And guess what? I'm going to give you his cell number because you're going to need it in Liberia. And so the whole time I was in Liberia, I had in my back pocket the phone number, the cell number, the personal number for the general of, uh, of the U.S. command forces over the continent of Africa. There were a couple times whenever we saw, I saw a person almost beat to death. One night when we had four people killed right outside of our compound, uh, I'm thinking, I got I to call this number. I'm calling in a Blackhawk. I'm, I'm getting Trevor and I out of here because what I found out on the airplane, well, the night that we left, the, mo- the night before we left, my granddaughter was born in Charlotte. Aaron calls at 1130 at night and says, hey, all right, she's coming. And I'm going, I'm going to Liberia in the morning, you know. And, uh, and my wife's having a heart attack. Anyway, long story short, we got her there. Get on the plane, and Trevor comes up to me and says, hey, I need to know this. Uh, Jen and I went out to supper last night, and she told me we're having a baby. I'm like, we're going to Liberia. You got a, grand, a granddaughter. You're going to have a baby. We're going to Liberia. Where's the ticket to Tarshish at? We're going to, when we get to Atlanta, we're changing our, our ticket to Tarshish. No, we went, and, and I tell you what, God has done some amazing things. Uh, we went there and, and got to partner with pastors all over Liberia. We trained a hundred some pastors. Uh, we've since then, you have invested now, since we got back $30,000 in a water plant that's, that's providing clean water for people uh, outside of the Monrovia capital of, uh, of, of Liberia. You're, provi- you're providing $20,000 in scholarships for seminary students at Methodist University. We're providing transportation uh, that was horrible when we were over there. Uh, you're also working, uh, I see Phil Reynolds here today. Phil and I have been initial conversation. He's having some thanks and thoughts about how we improve agriculture there in Liberia because we didn't go to Tarshish. See, God is at work in Liberia, and it's a new partner for us because God wanted us to go there. You know, J.D. Walt asked this question or said this statement uh, in a devotion I read this past week. If no one wants to put us to death for preaching the gospel, maybe we aren't preaching the gospel. If nobody wants to put us to death for preaching the gospel, maybe we're not preaching the gospel. Let me tell you, in this crazy world we're living in right now, in this increasingly secular world, if you stand for the truth of the gospel, you can expect you're going to get hammered. You're going to get condemned, and you're going to get judged, and you're going to get hammered. And I'm just telling you, this the way it's going to be in the, in, the, in the weeks and months and years to come. I got an email this week from the Post and Courier, and they wanted me to do an interview 
about one of our famous uh, members here. And before I agreed to do the interview, I reached out to that person and said, hey, Post and Courier wants to do an interview and wants me to say some things about you. And I love the response back, whatever God puts on your heart. Just say whatever God puts on your heart. See, my men, my men and women today, young people today, we've got to be able to speak boldly what God has put on our heart. And it's got to be grounded in Scripture because the world needs to hear the Word of God today. So when you get that call from God, when God calls, will you run because you're scared? Will you, will you, will you run because it doesn't make sense? Will you skip town by turning away from God's Word or fleeing God's purpose? Or will you surrender? You know, isn't it crazy that Jeremiah, a prophet, thought he could flee God's presence? And we'll see here a little later next week that he couldn't. But Jeremiah 23, 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do you think you can hide from God in Tarshish? Do you think you can hide from God in the belly of a ship? Do you think you can hide from God in the belly of a well? Do you think you can hide from God in, on, a, on a nice, quiet street on Lake Murray, looking out over the lake when God is calling you to go and do something? You can't hide from the presence of God. And Martin did a great job reading Psalm 139. I'm not going to read it to you again. Where can I go? God, you see me when it's dark. You see me when it's light. You see me at the bottom of the ocean. You see me in the sky. And when Jonah disobeys God's call to go to a great city, what does God do? He sends it into a great storm. Let me just say a word about the storm here real quickly in Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods, shouted to their gods for help. See, everybody's got a God. Everybody's got a God. The people in Nineveh had gods. These sailors had some gods. And they prayed for help. They threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all the time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God, and maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now, don't you know that God uses storms to get your attention? Anybody in a storm right now? Anybody just come out of a storm? God uses storms to get our attention. And there is a connection. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book on Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. He said this, he says, there's a connection between storms and sin, that every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. You know that, right? Every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. When we're focused on what we want to do, and we're going to do it our way, not God's way, you can count on a storm probably showing up sometime in your life. Don't you remember being told this as a kid from Numbers 20, 32, 23? But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your what will find you out. Your sins will find you out. Boy, I saw that happen over and over in my life. Your sins will find you out. There's going to be a storm brewing because of your disobedience. But also I want you to realize that there are these sailors, and they're not the ones who are sinning. Now, they're worshiping the wrong God, <coughs> that's for sure. But it's because of Jonah that this storm has come upon the sea. And let me just say that sometimes you and I go through a storm because of somebody else's sin. 
Don't you know that's true? That there are bad things that happen to good people, innocent people, because somebody else is in the middle of a storm. How many tragedies do we see on, on, in the media every day of some violent act brought upon some innocent person because somebody else was living in a storm? And their whole life was chaos, and they brought that chaos into people's life. And I hope and pray that you're not here today living in a storm causing harm to innocent people. If you are, God wants you to forget, repent that and change and get out of that situation and, and stop causing harm to innocent people because you're in a storm. And there are some people here today that are causing harm because you're in a storm. I know as a young kid, I grew up in a divorced, broken home. Grew up in a storm. It wasn't my fault. But there was a storm brewing there. Aren't you glad that God brings salvation out of storms? And I became a believer in Jesus because of that storm. And I know that God uses storms. And these, and these sailors became believers because of what God did in the storm. They believed in the one true God. Not, not, here's so interesting. They didn't believe in God to get them out of the storm. They believed in God after he got them out of the storm. That's always the best kind of faith, isn't it? You know, a lot of people got faith in a foxhole. But whenever you get on the other side of the foxhole and you believe, that's a strong faith. These men were praying to their own God to get them out. It wasn't working. Then they saw the real God calm the sea, and they said, hey, I want to believe in that God. That's the God I want to believe in that changes storms. And they began to believe. I love One other thing I want to just point out here before I wrap this up is there's something called common grace in the midst of the mercy in the storm. We see mercy in the storm. You can read the rest of the passage there in verses 7 through 14. But here in the, here in the storm, where was the prophet of God at during the storm? He was asleep in the bottom of the ship. And what are these pagans doing? They're praying. They're working. They're trying to save Jonah's, Jonah's life. Don't you know that there is common grace in our world? That there are people who do not believe in God that are doing good things in our world. We see evidence of that in agriculture. We see evidence of that in technology. We see evidence of that in, 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 in music and in, in arts and all that kind of stuff. There are, there, there are people that God is just pouring out goodness in that don't believe in God. And, and it's going to be a bad day on this planet one day when God removes his spirit from this earth. It's going to become real chaotic. So I say all that to say is there's something called common grace. This, that, that's, that's prevalent. Aren't you glad it's prevalent in our world today? There are people doing things that are helping us live on this planet who don't even believe in God. But God's Spirit is there. Now, there's something else called prevenient grace or preventing grace, and that is the grace of God that works in our hearts. And these sailors who are doing some good work don't believe in God. They're doing good work, though. They're trying to save Jonah's life. They're willing to even row to shore in the middle of a storm to save Jonah's life. But God begins to work in the hearts through His grace. And they become believers in God. And it says they worship God because of God's grace. Now, let me close by one other comparison. Let me take a moment. I'm going to probably do this every time I preach on Jonah these next three weeks. Is that there is a comparison between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was reluctant and did not want to go to Nineveh. Jesus was not reluctant and was willing to come to the earth and to be the Savior of the world. Jonah was reluctant to go to anybody else other than the Hebrews. Jesus came for the whole world. Aren't you glad? He didn't just come for his people. He came for the people of the world. 
we have a God of second chances. A God who reaches out to pagans. A God who reaches out to corrupt nations. A God who reaches out to Jonas. A God who reaches out to you. Today, are you running from God's presence? I heard a story of a man who was being pursued by an attorney. And the attorney wanted to give him a document. And this man knew it was a subpoena. And he just, he, he, he didn't want a subpoena. So he, he, he constantly avoided this attorney. Went on for years avoiding this attorney. And finally, after 14 years of running from this attorney, the man is in the hospital. He's dying from cancer. And there's that persistent attorney. Shows up in the hospital room. He says, I got something for you here. And the guy says, man, I, okay, I give up. I've been running for 14 years. Go ahead and give me the subpoena. Go ahead and tell me what I've done wrong. And he says, no. I got a letter here that shows and proves that you inherited $45 million. Can you imagine how bad that would have felt? I can't promise you that if you'll say yes to God, he'll give you $45 million. But I can promise you that he'll give you abundant life. And he'll give you a purpose. He'll give you a destiny. You know, one thing, I want you to hear this today, and I forgot it in the last service. I'm going to go back and say it again in this service. Is that disobedience will derail your destiny. Disobedience will de derail your destiny. On Friday afternoon, I was watching Toy Story 4 at the movie theater with Harper Grace, trying to stay awake. They got those recliners now, you know, it's really hard to stay awake. You're reclining back there watching Toy Story 4. And Bo Peep said something that got my attention. She said this to Woody. She said, Woody, if you spend your life on the shelf, you'll never find out. If you spend your life on the shelf, you'll never find out. God has a destiny for everybody in this room. If you spend your life on the shelf, you'll never find out. If you spend your life running to Tarshish, you'll never find out. I don't want you to miss your God-given destiny. Think about what this room right here, this, just this room, can do to change the world. If you live into your God-given destiny. We're going to sing a closing hymn, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. That's a strong statement. It's going, to, it's going to open up a destiny for you. You can't stay on the shelf. You, you got to cash in your ticket to Tarshish. <laughs> and you got to go where he leads. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be hard. But you're going to hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's stand together. Father God, I pray that you would bless this congregation to be a people that lives into their destiny. Lord, that if we are running from you, that today we'll stop. If we keep buying tickets for Tarshish, that we would stop. And that we would allow you to, to, to lead us and to call us to the destiny you have for us. Lord, for people sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the shelf, that they would step off of the shelf and find out, find out what you have for them. 
Father, for that person that's calling out to their own God, that today they would call out to you, the true God, the God who loves us. Where you lead, I will follow. Amen and amen.